All right, well, let's get to it. If you have a Bible with you, we're gonna be in 2 Peter. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to loan you one if you like. You just have to raise your hand real high and uh, LJ and his sweet kicks will uh, let you borrow a Bible if you like. A couple weeks ago, we, we started this new series in 2 Peter. We didn't get too far and we had the typhoon. We had a special guest. And so we're still here in chapter one. And as I was studying last week and into this week, um, really felt impressed in my own spirit to basically drill down a little further on verse nine. And so verse eight helps to keep great context for us as Peter will, in a sense, make a a comparison and a contrast. So I, I thought it'd be good for us to go back and just in a sense, retread verse 8 and then spend most of our time in verse 9. I entitled our message this morning, Avoiding Spiritual Deficiencies. In a sense, that is what Peter is prescribing for us so that we will avoid spiritual deficiencies. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Would you stand with me, please, in honor of God and His Word, just for a few minutes or moments? I will read aloud to you. I'm reading from the New King James Version. I know we have different Bible versions sometimes, so do your best to follow along. This is the Word of God as the Spirit inspired Peter to pen for us. He says, For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Excuse me. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted. He says, Even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. All right, we're going to park there. Uh, There's a lot that Peter has for us. So would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for this morning. So we pray, I think, every Sunday for your goodness and grace, your love and your mercy, how it's manifested in so many ways, Lord. It's on display through relationships that you bring us into, thankful for our family and friends, thankful for the interns that you opened the door for them to come. And God, we lift them to you and pray you'd bless them in every way as they head back stateside, as a new semester of Bible college starts up, that you would be with them. And Lord, may their experience here just be uh, one that gets enhanced and becomes tools in their own toolbox forever that you've called them to do. And we're grateful for the investment that they made and sacrifice they made. Father, we thank you for how your love is manifested even in our time of worship, as we sang earlier, you, you inhabit, you, you dwell within the praises of your people. And your word says that when we're gathered together, that you're in our midst. Lord, we thank you for how you're portrayed in this beautiful and powerful way of both humility and power. You are the lion and the lamb. Lord, you're the, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. You're fully man who took our sins and you're fully God who gives us grace. You are the one who is, who was, and is to come. And Lord, as we study your word this morning, we ask that by your spirit, you would lead us into your truth, where we thank you that you love us, you meet us where we're at, regardless of whatever baggage we brought into this room this morning. Lord, you see us, you care, you love us. And God, you desire for us to grow. And so we pray you would grant us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that would yield to what your spirit says. And we give you our time now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we missed a few Sundays. I thought it might be helpful. I'm hoping it would be helpful for us as we come back to 2 Peter to do a quick review and a little bit of an overview of what the first part of his letter, 2 Peter, uh, entails to refresh us, but also to set some context as we jump back into these verses that we're looking at. Simon Peter, of course, as he opens, he introduces himself. He is the author, and then straightway he gets to his audience. This is his second letter. And if you were with us a couple weeks ago as we began to unpack this, you might remember that 2 Peter is different than 1 Peter in a number of ways, but two two big ways that it's different for us is that his audience is a little bit broader 
this time. Basically, it's to any and every Christian, regardless of location. When he addresses them, he basically just says, or he doesn't basically, he writes, excuse me, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, right there in verse one. And so certainly that includes you and me today. These are things that apply for us. And so it's good for us to study and read and, and ask the Lord to help us to understand what does it mean? What did it mean for the original audience? And what are the principles that we can apply in our lives today as we follow the Lord? So that's one. Secondly, it's different in that the first letter was an encouragement, it was an exhortation. They were suffering as the as a result of them just being Christians. And so they experienced their own form of cancel culture, of being persecuted for their faith. They are going through some rough stuff and some dark days. And so Peter writes to them to encourage them and spur them on. This letter is a little different. Certainly an encour it's encouraging. Uh, there's perspective. But I would say the main thrust of it is a warning. It's a warning to you and me. It's a warning to his readers about false doctrine and false teachers. And, and Peter is going to make a, a high contrast between what false teachers do, how they act, what they say, the things that they espouse, versus what you and I as Christ followers that we should know, that we should be grounded in, the things that then we should then say and the things that we should do. And he's going to make a contrast between those two things. And, and I would just say the big takeaway from all of it from 2 Peter is that, that if you name the name of Jesus Christ, if Christ is your Lord and your Savior, Peter will tell us over and over again, then we should be growing in our faith. There should be an active, dynamic, healthy pursuit of the Lord. That we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Peter tells us is that God has set us up for success. He's put the ball on the tee. And so uh, everything that we need, God has provided. And how do we grow? Well, we grow primarily in God's word. Hence the, the title of our, of our whole series. It is reading. It is heeding. It is obeying, it is following the word of God. And God's provided all that we need. So verses one through four, when Peter writes, he, he introduces himself, he identifies his audience, and then quickly he lays this foundation to highlight the sufficiency of the resources that God has given to us for both our salvation and our sanctification. That in the grace of God and his grace, in grace alone, in faith alone, in Christ alone, that you and I have been saved, that same grace, our same Lord, sustains us in our sanctification. We've been saved out of the world, and now God's gonna take the world out of us. And he has provided the means for both of those things. And it's important for us. You know, we, we, we spent some time, we, we, we wanted to reset that foundation, that doctrinal truth that we have been saved solely on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. As we sang earlier, the righteousness of Christ Jesus, not mine, not yours, not our good works, not our deeds. We don't rate it. We don't earn it. No, nothing we do. It attains our salvation. It's everything that Christ has done for us. And in his righteousness, the Bible says, he then credits you. He imputes that to your account. And we are the recipients then of God's love and grace and mercy. So it's his life, it's his death on a cross that paid for you and for me. And that same grace that saved us, Peter contends, it now works in you. It empowers us. It gives us, he describes it this way. We have a new divine nature, right? We have a new identity in the Lord and we have divine power. We have access to the power that God supplies. 
And in that then, he prescribes in verses five through seven, these spiritual pursuits, the, the, these disciplines that God gives us that we can then work out what God has put in, right? Working out our faith, exercising our faith in God's grace and pursuing holiness. I think Mark quoted uh, the very thing that I had said two weeks ago, right? None of us drift into holiness. It is a grace, if you will, grace-driven, grace-inspired pursuit that God puts us on. But it's important we understand we don't work for salvation. Um, it, it is the overflow. It is the outworking of what God has done. The book of James tells us, essentially, if, if we're really believers, if there's a true root in Christ, and it's not just lip service that we're paying, then there's going to be true fruit. The thing that we proclaim, the thing that we profess, we're going to practice that. It's going to be on display in the words we say, the jokes we tell, the movies we watch, the decisions we make, the way that we talk to our family, and the way that we live. There's going to be work there. And so Peter lists these character qualities that God prescribes for us that we should be in this active pursuit. Again, the Holy Spirit enabling us to do that. And it's important for us to understand, does God work in us? He certainly does. We partner with the Lord, right? We, we work out what God has worked in. And God is sovereign and God is good and God is gracious and God has promised that he will complete the good work he began in you. Uh, but he also expects us, we don't just sit the sovereignty of God is not an excuse for our laziness, for our inactivity, for our apathy. Um, there's an expectation that we would get up and go and grow. So we ended at verse 8 last time, which really begins Peter's point after he makes this prescription of these things for us to pursue, what will the outcome be? So what, Peter? What, what will happen if we do these things? Or really, Peter frames them in the negative. What happens if we don't do these things? And so from verses 8 through 11, Peter gives us the four benefits, four big blessings for us that we can experience as we prescribe these things, as we pursue these things. And, and they're described negatively, in chapter or in verses 8 and 9 and described positively in verses 10 and 11. So this morning, we're going to take the first two. Again, if you're with us a couple weeks ago, we already looked at verse 8, so it's a little bit of a retread. But I think like many things in life, if we do certain things, it can help us to avoid the negative. But if we, if we brush our teeth regularly, we floss regularly, then we, it helps us to avoid trips to the dentist, right? Generally speaking, it helps us to avoid cavities. If we eat nutritious foods, we, we get exercise, we, we practice good hygiene overall, we get good sleep. If we, we do those things, those basic things, generally speaking, it will help us to avoid health problems. We understand the natural. If we show up on time, we do our work, we do our school, we do our duties. Generally speaking, we do those things. We avoid getting in trouble with the boss or the teacher. Again, we understand that natural. And so when we come to the gospel, in many ways, it presents us the same type of benefits. Our salvation, if you will, has a twofold blessing. And, and, and categorically, Big scale, you know, um, what I'm looking, what's the word I'm looking for? Wide lens. We're, we're blessed by what God gives us, so what we obtain, that's a blessing. But we're also, there's a blessing in what we, we avoid, right? What, what we are delivered from. And Peter has already made that statement. For example, we're blessed that being justified by God and elect by the Lord and chosen by God, that you are adopted into his family, that God did that for you and for me. And he brought us in, declared us righteous because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
Ephesians chapter one tells us all of the spiritual riches we have in him. And so those are things that we then are partakers of, partakers of his divine nature. But we also have escaped. He told us earlier, but we've also escaped the, the mode of the world and the lusts of this world. We're blessed by what we leave behind. We're blessed by what um, we escape from. Uh, we've escaped from the, the penalty of our sins. We're escaped from the, we're delivered from the power of our sins. I'm blessed that God has chosen me, but I'm also blessed that I'm not the same person that I used to be. In my old BC days, my old life. If you want to just keep it as simple as we can, we gain heaven and we avoid hell. And so Peter, in a sense, has already told us that back at the end of verse four. And so what do we then avoid? What do we avoid if we pursue and have and practice these things, as he says? Well, that's where we come back to verse eight. He says, for if these things are yours and they abound, you will neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to identify what are these things. They point us back to verse seven, verses five through seven. It's those pursuits. It's those disciplines. It's those, if you will, those spiritual vitamins that God gives us. And so what are we to do? We're to practice these things. See, when, when we have them, when they're ours, when they abound, when they're growing, when they're developing, when we are in pursuit of these spiritual disciplines, it helps us to avoid, avoid what? Uselessness and unfruitfulness. Now, if you're here a couple of weeks ago, I may mention, I don't think that that is anybody's goal. I would hope not. Like, what's your life plan? I don't want to do nothing. I just want to be completely useless. Like, my life goal is to be a slug and a sloth, and that's all I want to do. Like, I, I, I don't think that's anybody's life goal, right? Like my aspirations are just do nothing for the rest of my life. Now, my son, Nehemiah, when he was younger, it, it, it was pretty close. <laughs> like, what do you want to be when you grow up? He's like, I want to be a YouTuber. I'm going to play a professional video gamer. I'm like, no, not here. He's like, oh yeah, mom already said I can live in the basement and... Like, we live in an apartment. We don't have a basement. You're out. Like, <laughs> he's like, I'm going to find a rich lady and marry her and she'll sponsor me. I'm like, well, he actually said sugar mama. I'm like, where'd you learn that word, right? I'm like, I guess that's a goal. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's the best goal, but all right. You know, we... When it comes to the kingdom of God, I dare say that sometimes um, we make little to no effort, people do, not you guys, to grow in our faith. Right? They, they'll, they'll come to Christ, but it's like, all right, I'm in the door, I'm saved, and then they just kind of park, just stay in the shallows. And they, and they and they can, and it's a danger for us to remain in a, an, an arrested development state where we are by years long in the Lord, but by our faith, we are infants. And if you're with us or if you're familiar with the book of James and even Hebrews, you know that God has some pretty uh, hard love for us when we get to those books. Because their challenge is, listen, by this time, you shouldn't be drinking a baby bottle spiritually. That we should move on from the elementary things and move in grace and move in growing in the knowledge of the Lord. And yet there are those who, they're just sitting, if you will, in spiritual diapers. And that's not what God wants for us. That's the thing. That's what we have to understand. And yes, is growing in faith difficult at times? It is. God's a realist. In many tribulations, we'll enter the kingdom of God. 
Coming to Jesus is not a promise that life is all of a sudden going to be just without troubles, without turbulence. Everything's going to be dandy like cotton candy. Nope. It's hard. And it's stretching. And guess what? There's times where it's convicting. There are times where God through his spirit will come and just thump us pretty good. And that's a good thing for us. Because we don't want to make the wrong association that just because it's hard, that it means it's bad. And I'm afraid there's this kind of cultural shift amongst some of the younger people that think, well, it's hard. So because it's hard, I don't want to do it. No, hard, hard, hard can be good. Hard is not always bad. And that is true of, for us spiritually as well. Because God will bring us to hard things and in hard places. Because he loves us and he wants us to grow. And so there are times where then God will challenge you and convict you and step on your toes and make you uncomfortable for the purpose of making us holy. And I know for me, I like comfort. I gravitate towards comfort. I pursue it, especially the older I get. I'll spend money on it. And yet, spiritually speaking, there, we have to be careful because if we get too comfortable, it's easy to slide into complacency. And then we become spiritually lukewarm. And so what does God do? He'll put us in a place and put us in a situation where it demands then that we are uncomfortable so that we would seek the Lord, cry out to God. And we get exposed. And guess what? It hurts and it's hard and we don't like it. And yet it's for our good. And, and I, would, I would lovingly challenge us as the Lord was really just speaking to my own heart. We, we do not want to settle for less. I think I've said this often. We will cheat ourselves from the fullness of what God wants to do in our life, of life abundant, of life fruitful, of life full, if we neglect these pursuits, if they are not ours, if they are not growing, if we're not in active uh, pursuit of these things, when we disconnect, what happens is we drift will wander off and we grow stale and stagnant. And so Peter in many ways is providing this warning for us. And so if these things are yours, what things? Well, verse five through seven, our faith and diligence and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and agape love. In pursuit of that, developing that, then we can avoid uselessness and unfruitfulness. Again, we talked a lot about that a couple of weeks. I just wanted to put that in context because he continues in verse nine, for he says, for he who then lacks these things. And so he began with, if you have them and they abound and they're yours, these things, but it's almost the converse. But if you lack them, if you don't have them, for he who or she who then doesn't have them. Again, what, what things, Peter? Verses five and seven. If we got them and they're growing, then we can expect fruitfulness and vitality and excitement and getting up in the morning excited for the things that God has for us each day. I pray that's the life that you live, that I, I want to live with expectation, with anticipation that God has good things for us every single day. But if we lack them, if we're lacking them, what happens? Well, notice he says, here's what happens. It, it's not good things. It's short-sightedness. It's blindness. It's, it's forgetfulness. And so if we don't have those things, it produces, if you will, 
a default of deficiency. A deficiency in our lives. It it impacts the quality then of our Christian life and walk and experience. And and I I, kind of think of it like vitamins. Vitamins and essential minerals that God has given us. And and if we don't have those vitamins in our diet, if we don't have these essential uh, minerals in our diet, if if we're, you know, mineral deficient or we're vitamin deficient, what happens to our body? Well, we invite disease. It gives way to wreak havoc in our body and all of our systems and uh, our health. If you have low levels of calcium or magnesium, you have low levels of iron, right? Those are, that's not good. We need to have those things. We need to have vitamin A and B and C and and D and elemental P and all of them, right? We need all of them. Because if we don't, and and a lot of you are medical, you know what happens. You know, some of the symptoms are weakness. Weakness in our muscles, weakness in our bones. Some of vitamin deficiencies will lead to vision problems even blindness. And I think it's interesting that that's what Peter, in a sense, talks about. There's a, a, a weakness we'll experience spiritually. There's a blindness we can experience spiritually. And so he's essentially saying the same thing here. And so it's responsibility that we have. But if we give little attention to the pursuits and this prescription that God says, hey, go practice this. If we don't, if we're like, nah, I'm good, that's not me. What can we expect? Well, we can expect spiritual weakness then. It will mess with how you see God. It will mess with how you see yourself and how you see the world. It will mess about how you think about God, what you think about the things that happen in your life. And even Peter says it, it'll mess with how we how we remember, we'll forget the goodness of God, his grace and what he's delivered us from. Okay, there, I find myself with this challenge because there's a part of me that, man, this just, it hits my heart in such a very personal way. But I also have to be careful. I don't want to just make it an, an emotional plea, plea to us as a church. Although I, I can become emotional about it. I, I want the scripture and the truth of God's spirit to lead, but it, it, hits, to, it hits my heart. And is this, by observation, I, I'm afraid that there are too many of us and people in my life that are unnecessarily suffering spiritual frailty that has become self-induced weakness because we can, and I'm guilty of it, right? We, we opt for just Sunday mornings. I'll give you, give the Lord that. But the rest of the week, we are filling our mind and our soul and our heart with junk it may not even necessarily be sinful things. It's just stupid things of mindless scrolling on social media. And we can spend hours on that. Of doing things that have no eternal impact. And and if you're like me, I, I can find excuse. Oh, I'm free in Christ. This is not sin. My wife looked at me. I wouldn't be embarrassed. But at the same time, I know this is a weight. This is still hindering me from the things that God would have for me. And, and, and so I, I, I wonder for us, if, we, if we're feeling so weak and without strength, why is that? Maybe it's because you and I, we've given little attention to our spiritual diet. And we've given little attention to exercising these disciplines. And dare I say, by observation, there are many Christians who then are 
ineffective and impotent because we opted for a diet of cotton candy and the watered-down gospel and, and comfort, and we've made that the priority and that the pursuit and convenience. And that becomes the gauge of whether or not we're going to pursue spiritual things. Is it convenient for me? And we've opted out of a discipline of regular Bible reading and devotion. I say this in love. If, if Sunday mornings is the only time that you open the word of God, you're doing it wrong. Because what happens? What happens? Here's what happens. Life happens. Life happens. Unapologetically, life happens. And life will sucker punch you. And the storms of life will come just like that stupid boomerang typhoon that we had, right? And, and it comes in the way of cancer and it comes in the way of disease. It comes in the way of, a, of hey, I, there's a phone call that you didn't expect. Or you get home and someone says, have a seat, we need to talk. Or you get called to the school office. Financial trouble, marriage problems, problems with your teens, problems with your toddlers, problems with your adult kids, work trouble, it, it comes. And it will hit. And the question is, what will we do when, when that happens? Will the house of our life sustain those things? And, and Jesus gave this great example about those who hear him and obey him, those who hear these words of mine and they do them, I liken them to a wise man who built their house upon a rock and the storms came and it didn't fall. It's the foolish person. And the difference in that is they heard his words, but they did nothing. And he says, and that person's a fool. They built their, their life, if you will, on sand. And when the storm came, he says, great was that crash. Again, I think I qualify this phrase, and I use it too often, but I want to say this in love as best I can. If your theology, if your like, doctrine matters, and that's why we spend some time going through some of these things, re revisiting biblical truth to lay a foundation because doctrine matters what we think and know about God and his love and his grace, our biblical worldview, what we understand about sin in this world and how it corrupts. That's important. It gives us bearing when, when stuff happens to us and around us. And so if our theology is strong and it's solid, it will sustain you in your mind, in your thought life, in your heart, in your emotions, and how you respond and the decisions that you make to know the goodness of God and his grace, to know the promises of the Lord, that beyond the, 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 the hard things that we go through, that he promises to sustain you because life will sucker punch you. And that, that came all into, uh, once again, crystal clear of you, you know how I know that solid theology sustains you? When the Godoy family, who last week gave birth to their baby, and five days later, he enters into eternity. That's not how you want to leave the hospital. And the sweet couple who, who, who loses their baby, again, he's not lost. We know where he is. But then says, well, you'd like to do a memorial. And Pastor Rick, our command's coming, our friends are coming, we invited our neighbors, and they're like, and we want you to preach the gospel. Whatever you do, preach the gospel. And I, I'm like, all right. Like, what holds them? Jesus Christ holds them. The assurance that they know that that Dennis is not here, but he is in the arms and the presence of the Lord. And then we get to have a, 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 
a time where we sorrow and yet in conversation, this, this beautiful, hopeful speculation of, I wonder what Dennis looks like now. That he's whole and he's happy. And, and then you have this whole other category of people who profess to know the Lord and yet they've abandoned their faith or they're reconstructing their faith. And I would say my character, my descriptor of that for the stupidest of reasons, the minuscule of trials, their feelings are hurt over trivial things. They're offended. They didn't get invited. Someone didn't say the right thing. And what happens? They, they blame the church. They blame God. They blame the Bible uh, for their decision to be mad and to leave. Peter says, if we lack these things, the danger is a short-sightedness. You know what short-sightedness? It's only seeing what's before you. It's a spiritual myop, my narrowness. My op, you have a myoptic view. It is a warning for us because he's writing to believers to disregard these spiritual disciplines. It, it is to invite a distortion of how we then see God and ourselves and the world and others. We get our eyes off of Jesus. We put our eyes on other things and people and movements, our job, our family, our expectations. And guess what? They will let you down. And we have this spiritual vitamin deficiency that results in eye trouble. We cannot see the Lord and we only see ourselves. Instead of fixing our hope on on that which is certain, the spiritual and unseen realities, we get wrapped up into the here and now. With little regard for what the future holds. And and that's the danger. It's spiritual short-sightedness. And if you're like me, you know what happens? Spiritual short-sightedness, it just quickly develops to selfishness. Then we only care about my schedule and my money and my things and my time and my conveniences. And it just becomes about me, myself, and I. Cares little about others. Cares little about what God wants to do. If we neglect these things, if they're not ours, he says, if you're lacking them, And notice what else it says. He says, even to blindness, the idea that this can progress. It can get worse. I went to the doctors the other day. Uh, I have a torn rotator cuff. Uh, I think I tore it in November. When I thought I could play football with the young guys at Turkey Bowl. At my age, I'm, I'm afraid to wake up in the morning. Just things are hurting, right? How did you injure your knee? I woke up. <laughs> but the doctor's like, uh, you, shot, you probably should have came back in November. Like maybe at that time it wasn't, it was just uh, tendonitis and not a tear. I neglected it. And it got worse. So, uh, left unattended, it, it, it'll get worse. Spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness. Now understand, he's writing to believers. There is a spiritual blindness for the unbeliever. They are spiritually undiscerned. They can't see the things of the Lord, right? God has to open their eyes to his truth and his grace and his love. But if you know the Lord, like, God has opened our eyes spiritually. And yet at the same time, we, we can be in danger of, of a type of spiritual blindness. You know what that does? It, it's selfishness that turns into victimhood. It turns into pride. It turns into where everybody else is wrong. It's God who's at fault. It's the church who's at fault. It's the pastor who's at fault. It's that community. It's that thing. Everybody else is wrong. 
And we put on these spiritual blinders and it's a very sad state for a Christian to be. It has happened. It happens when we disregard the truth of God, where we pursue other engagements and enticements and, and we get entangled in the things of the world. What else does he say? He says, and they've forgotten, forgotten that we have been cleansed from our old way of life, cleansed from our sins. In one sense, in one sense, we are called to forget the past. And, and there's a good part of that. That when we come into Christ Jesus, the Bible says even God has forgotten our sins. The Bible says in Psalm 103 that uh, verse 12, as far as the East is from the West, God has removed our transgressions from us. In Hebrews chapter eight, it says, God says, I will remember your wickedness no more. And so there's one sense where God has forgiven and, and forgotten our, our sins. And so we, guess what? We, we, we should, we're called to forget our past. We've been delivered from that. And sometimes what we self-inflict is we hold on to our past, to the guilt and the shame that God's delivered us from. And the Lord comes and says, why are you carrying that around? Let that go. One of my favorite scenes in scripture, I've shared this with you guys before. Um, I think it's Luke five. I forgot to check after first service. You have to fact check me later. Luke five. It's Jesus. He's on the sea of Galilee. Peter and those guys have done fishing. And yet he's like, Hey, Peter, I'm going to borrow your boat, bro. My paraphrase. We're going to go on a little venture, bro. They go out into the middle of the sea, little quality time, Jesus and Peter. And all of a sudden the Lord says, Hey, why don't you, why don't you try fishing again? And, and it's an amazing scene. And I love this. There's so many parts here, right? All of a sudden all this fish comes and it says Peter's convicted by it, right? He, he sees and he's, and he's like, Oh, I'm a sinful man which is such an odd scene. Like when was the last time fish convicted you? You're at sushi go around. I'm so sinful. <laughs> I want some more salmon. I'm a sinner. I think it's a scene of the Lord providing for Peter. But then I love it because here's what the Lord says. Three, three little words. He says, he says, from now on, it's marker of time. From now on, whatever you used to be, that's not who you are anymore. Those are the words the Lord says to us, right? From now on. And yet sometimes we're like, well, here's how I used to be, Lord. And God's like, I, I deliver you from that. That's not you anymore. So maybe that's a word for some of you this morning. Listen, you, God's delivered you from those things. You can completely, he's forgiven and forgotten them. And so should you. You're not defined by that anymore. You let that go. Your past doesn't define you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone be in Christ, they are a brand new creation. Behold, all the old junk, my paraphrase, it's gone. And so there, there's a sense in which we are called to forget our past. There's also a sense in which we, we shouldn't. Kind of this weird dichotomy. We don't. We realize that we once walked according to the pattern of this world, as Paul would say. And he would recall his former way of life, not as a means to glory in that, but as a means to uh, glorify God as a result of being delivered from it. That he and you and I aren't the same as we used to be. It's the spiritual version of the before and after Jenny Craig pictures, it's our BC days. And thank God that we don't live in our BC days. That he's delivered us from those things. And, and so we can remember that as a means to praise the Lord and glorify God of our testimony. And the children of Israel forgot how terrible their old life was. God delivered them out of Egypt. 
on the way to the promised land. And, and, and all of a sudden they have this memory lapse. They, they only start remembering the minor good things of their old life. They begin to complain about the, the, the manna. They complained about their travels. They complained about their, if I can say this already, their duty assignment. And they're like, oh, we remember it's so good. Numbers 11.5. We remember the fish that we ate. It didn't cost anything. We had cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. We might add today's version and watermelon and strawberries. And although Costco's coming soon, praise the Lord. Right? <laughs> oh, they recount all this good stuff of their old life. Like, but do you remember that you're being beaten every day? Like you lived a life of torture and enslaved and in bondage. Don't you remember the, the king made you kill all your babies? Like, hello? And yet we're, we do the same thing, doesn't it? I mean, sin has a way of romanticizing our memories. Like we can recall our BC days with fondness. Oh, remember the good old days? We did this and that. Like, yeah, but you also remember that you had your face in the toilet. You're sleeping in your own vomit. You woke up, you didn't know where you were. You spent all that time and energy to grind just to get ahead only for nothing. Like the shallowness and the emptiness of our sinful endeavors. Well, we, we forget that sometimes. And so what is Peter warning here for us? If we disregard these spiritual disciplines, it will distort how we think. Not only how we see God, how we see others, but then what we think and what we remember about the goodness of God. Again, he's writing to the believer. We forget the victory that we have in the Lord. He writes, and one is forgotten that he's cleansed from his old sins. Church family, I pray would never forget that what Christ did for us and who we are in the Lord and that we are a forgiven people. It's a dangerous place to get to the place where we forgotten our identity forgotten what we've been delivered from, forgotten that we're no longer uh, shackled to or defined by our old life. We can reckon the old person dead. You and I have a new nature. We have incredible privilege to come to Christ at any time that we need. It's a standing invitation boldly to his throne room of grace. The power that we need, every resource Peter said earlier, all that we need, it's been supplied. You know what happens? We can forget and I get it, right? The, our mind is a big battlefield, isn't it? It's probably one of the biggest battlefields that we fight spiritually. It's just things can pop into our brain. If you're like me, we are capable of imagining terrible, sinful things, embarrassing things. I had things I wouldn't share. Ungodly. Well, I'll share one. Now everyone's all awake now. During the typhoon, if you're a friend on, with me on Facebook, you saw... Near my house, the Union Grocery Store and, and Family Mart, during the typhoon, they stayed open for a good chunk of the time. And I watched the Union Grocery Store be packed all day long. Now, if you've shopped at Union Grocery Store, you know they don't take credit card. It's cash only. So here's where my sinful brain came in. I thought, I wonder if I robbed that place. <laughs> <laughs> I, I sat at my window for a few minutes entertaining the idea of like, I think I could rob that grocery store. <laughs> Terrible. I planned my route. <laughs> All the cash. It's the middle of a typhoon. People still wear masks. I'm like, I could do it. <laughs> no, I cannot. <laughs> Terrible. Our, our memory is just as sinful. Our memory can be just as volatile and short-lived. I mean, that's why over and over, God's word, both Old Testament, New Testament alike, says, do not forget. Why? Because we're prone to forget. Peter's going to say, I know that you know this, but I'm going to stir this up by way of remembrance. And so 
How do we do that? It, it's, it's a daily vitamin, if you will, our daily bread. It's being refreshed in, renewed in, reminded of God's truth every day. Jesus repeated the same lessons to the disciples over and over again. We will encounter the same lesson because God knows we are a forgetful bunch and we don't grow automatically. Growth and maturity, what God expects and desires, he empowers us. It's not just a matter of time. We already see that exampled in James and in Hebrews. It's a matter of discipline. It is a matter of, of diligent pursuit. And if we're not growing in Christian character, then what happens? We will become blind and forgetful and unfruitful. And gang, I don't want that for you. And I don't want that for me. And so I pray that we pursue these things. Amen. All right. Father, we thank you so much for your word, your goodness and grace. A little bit of hard things to hear, but good things for us nonetheless. And I pray, Lord, as we began, that these words, your word, that it would find a place in our heart. And that we wouldn't give just light attention to these things, but Lord, we would give contemplation and meditation. And that today in the days to come, that we would course correct. Lord, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And I pray through your kindness that we confess these things. Or if we've just been filling our mind and hearts with junk, Lord, give us, cultivate a, an appetite for the things of you again. Help us to experience the blessing of fruitfulness, of vigor, of vitality. Lord, I think some of us, we're tired of just a weak, stale, stagnant Christian walk. We want to be spirit-filled, spirit-led, enjoying the things that you've given us, Lord. And so we thank you for the prescription of what we can avoid as we pursue these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.